This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au We didn't plan this out, but I actually believe that the message that God has for us today is perfect timing for this announcement of starting the second service and believe that God wants to jolt us out of cruise control uh, to live a life of discipleship, of active obedience. And I haven't planned that, Matt didn't plan that, but God had a plan for us this morning and what he wanted us to hear in his word. Uh, So my name is Brad Koneman. I'm the Gospel Communities Pastor here at Anchor. I'm part of Forest Lodge Gospel Community. Uh, If you're new or visiting, welcome. We're so pleased that you're with us and we hope that uh, you really enjoy your time with us this morning. And as we begin, I wanted us to ask a question. Have you ever been cruising along through life and something has jolted you to take action. It might have been last night watching the royal wedding, you know, watching the cars come through, Meghan Markle arriving in that cool Rolls Royce, walk down the aisle with that epic long trail, um, all the pomp and ceremony, and then the Bishop Michael Curry gets up and like preaches this amazing sermon on the power of love the power of God's love to change our lives and to change the world. And you're looking at the Queen and all the royal family going, what, what's happening here? Catherine and I were like on the edge of our seats cheering him on. It was, it jolted, right? It jolted us into action. Last Sunday, we uh, went out for breakfast for Mother's Day to Warren and Holt, which is a new cafe in, Illawarra, in Marrickville on Illawarra Road. It was started by... Matt and Sophie. These guys were working in in corporate, uh, busy lives, busy jobs, and in 2016 they had a big health scare that jolted them to make some changes to their life. So they needed to make some significant changes to their diet, and they started eating in this new way, and they, they loved it. And confronted with their own mortality, they they made some changes to their life. They didn't just want to kind of work in the corporate world anymore, but they wanted to do something that they were passionate about, and so they started a new cafe in Marrickville, Warren and Holt, focused on allergen-free, whole food diet. Um, so go check it out for lunch. It was awesome. But, you know, this health scare that jolted them into action. In my life, I grew up in the church, But I I was, to be honest, more interested in girls than I was in Jesus. I was a bit of a player throughout high school. (laughs) I was more shaped by my soccer mates than by the Bible, and I was just on cruise control through high school. And as we got into year 12, there was a girl in... There was a girl in the local area who killed herself. A suicide, and this suicide confronted me with the reality of life and death and jolted me out of my complacency, my comfort and my cruisy high school life to not just hear the words of Jesus, but to respond in obedience. Now, Aussie culture is laid back, right? It's a cruise control culture. She'll be right. Take it as it comes. Go with the flow. Have a laugh. Live for the weekend. And we're famous for it, right? This laid-back culture. But where does this road take us? Where does our cruise control along the highway of life take us? Well, as we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus confronts us with a choice. He lays before us two roads with two different destinations. Life and destruction. 
life and destruction. And we see at the end of his teaching that Jesus isn't just some good teacher, doesn't just kind of give us a favourites box and we pick out the ones that we like. I really like the Turkish delight, but I'll leave the rest. He raises the stakes, right? He lays before us life and death. And he says, if you want life, you don't get there on cruise control. And he calls us to make a deliberate choice. He jolts us to take action in response to his teaching. He gives us three warnings, which we're going to work through at the end of his teaching. And each of them confronts us with the choice to make sure that we're on the road that leads to life, that we're not on the highway that leads to destruction. And so, church, let me ask you, what path are you on? What path are you on? You might have been sitting in church for decades. And for you, there's the danger of complacency and presumption and comfort and cruise control of hearing Jesus' words but not doing them. You might be new to church, new to Jesus, new to the Bible. This might be your first Sunday with us and welcome. We're so glad you're with us. But you can't just sit here and listen. Jesus calls us for a response today. And this week, as I've been preparing, I haven't just been reading and writing and thinking. I have been doing those things, but I've been praying for you. I've been praying for us as a church. I've been praying that God would jolt us out of complacency, that we would see the high stakes in our response to Jesus' teaching, that this is life or destruction, and that we would choose to follow Jesus in the everyday stuff of life, repenting of sin, believing the gospel, and living in obedience. So I'm going to pray that again now, that God would meet with us now and jolt us to take action in response to his teachings. Let's pray, church. Father, speak to us now. Keep us from wasting our lives on cruise control. May you move us by your Holy Spirit to live in obedience to what what you have taught us. So please move now in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 13 to 29. So if you've got your Bibles, grab them out or your devices, open them up. The words will be on the screen as well. And we're going to hear from God's Word. We preach from the Bible here at Anchor. We believe that God has spoken to us, that this isn't man's thoughts about God, but God has revealed himself to us. And so this is our power. This is our authority. And this gives us life. And we submit ourselves to God's Word. So let us... Here now, Jesus gives us three warnings in this passage. So read along, see if you can pick them out, and then I'll give you the answers after we read it. So Matthew chapter 7, three warnings, verses 13 to the end. Right. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No. So, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Did you pick up on the three warnings? Enter by the narrow gate. Watch out for false guides. Build your house on the rock. So the first warning in verses 13 to 14. Enter by the narrow gate. Jesus presents us with two ways, two gates, two different destinations. So the first way in verse 13, second half of verse 13, he says, The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. So there's a wide gate, a big on-ramp. It's easy to get on the, on the Broadway. It's an easy path. It's live however you want. It's comfortable. It's cruisy. And there are many people on it. It's popular. You follow the crowd. And this is the default if you're in cruise control. You don't swim against the tide. You just go with the flow. But where does it lead? Destruction. This is suicide road. It's the highway that drives off a cliff. But Jesus shows us another way in verse 14. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. A narrow way. A narrow gate. It's hard to find. You've got to look for it. A narrow path. It's hard and difficult. Few people find it. This is not swimming with the crowd. This is going against the flow. This is a minority group within society. But where does it lead? Where does it lead? It leads to life. This is the way of Jesus. Two different destinations, two different roads. Now, for our culture, it's the journey that matters, not the destination, isn't it? It's the journey. Enjoy it. Not everyone who wanders is lost. Just get out there, enjoy it, cruise. But Jesus warns us, enjoying the journey while ignoring the destination is dangerous. You might end up somewhere you never intended to go. It's too short-sighted. Now, we all want the good life. We all want life, right? But following the cultural tide, according to Jesus, doesn't deliver. And, you know, we all intuitively know this. We just kind of cruise through life, enjoying it, and then a crisis happens 
We're kind of thrown into a, a tailspin. We're like, where am I going? My life lacks direction and purpose. What is happening to me? Jesus' analysis of this highway of culture is that we're just amusing ourselves to death. It drives us off a cliff. Francis Chan, the American preacher and pastor, illustrates this same kind of thing with his famous illustration with a rope. Some of you might have seen this. So Francis is up on stage and he's got this huge long rope that goes across the whole stage, you know, five metres or something. He's like, this rope symbolises our eternity. And on this rope, there's this tiny inch of it that's got red tape wrapped around it. Huge rope, tiny little inch that symbolises, this red tape symbolises our life. And Francis is like, you know, we stress out, we spend all our time and money and stress on focusing on making sure that this little red, red tape is like the best life ever and that we've got it all together. And then he picks up the rope right and he's like, what about the rest of the rope? Jesus is saying the same thing. You might enjoy this tiny breath of life that you have here, but what about your eternal destination? You've got to be concerned about the destination. And he confronts us with a choice. There are only two ways to live. There is no middle way. There is no third option. There is the way of the world that leads to destruction, and there is the way of Jesus that leads to life. Now, I hear what you're saying. I can hear what you're thinking. That sounds pretty exclusive. That's a bit arrogant, Jesus. That's hateful, Jesus. You're saying that that person over there is wrong? That their way is the wrong way? Truth is relative. All religions are kind of saying the same thing. It doesn't really matter what I do. Well, it's true. Some truth is relative. I've got a map up on screen here. If we were to pick our our routes to get up to Tukli for our getaway, well, you could go up the Pacific Highway and then up the freeway and get there directly, or you could go via Wiseman's Ferry. You could go the scenic way, drive along the Hawkesbury River, have it, you know, it might take you five extra hours to get there, but it, it doesn't matter which route you choose because they're both going to the same destination. Some truth is like that. Some truth is just preference. It doesn't matter. But if you leave from Sydney, second map, you can turn right and go to Newcastle, or you can turn left and go to Wollongong. Two different roads, two different destinations. If you want to go to Newcastle, don't turn left. Don't go on the road that goes to Wollongong. So what destination are we shooting for, and what's the road that's going to get us there? Jesus is speaking with the very authority of God. And he says there are only two ways. And they are two very different destinations. And only one path leads to life. Jesus is making a very exclusive claim. Not me. I'm not making this claim. It would be easier just to go, well, just pick and choose. It doesn't matter. But Jesus is saying there, is only two, there are only two ways. And only one of them leads to life. So how do we get on this narrow way? How do we get to life? Well, in John's gospel, Jesus says, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Jesus says, I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he says, 
I am the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet he shall live. Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the life. If you want life, it is found in him alone. Salvation is found in no one else. All other ways are false trails that end in destruction. You cannot remain indifferent to this message, can you? You can't remain uncommitted, sitting on the fence. Jesus confronts us with the necessity of choice. And he asks us, he asks you, what path are you on? Are you just sitting there on cruise control, drifting along? Are you on the path, the broad path, that leads off the cliff of destruction? At the start of his ministry in chapter 4 in Matthew, verse 17, Jesus sums up his whole teaching with this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, you don't drift into the kingdom of God. The Christian life is not lived on cruise control. Jesus calls us to make a U-turn, to turn around, make a course correction. He's calling us for deliberate and active choice to get off the broad way that leads to destruction and to enter through the narrow gate to get on the narrow way. Now, before you make that choice, I want to warn you about the dangers along the way. Jesus warns us that the way is narrow. It is hard and difficult. It separates us from the crowd. We're swimming against the cultural tide. Christians are non-conformists. Our communities are a counterculture of the kingdom of God. We are the light of the world, exposing the darkness. And when Jesus came as the light into the darkness, the world rejected him. The Christian life is not easy. Jesus calls us to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. But this narrow way leads to eternal life. This is not a one-time deal, ticket to life. This is a way of life that is incompatible with cruise control. It requires daily choice to live in obedience to Jesus. Now, this teaching about two ways, this has big implications for our city. Over four million people who do not know the way to life. There are only two possible responses to Jesus. There is no third way. And the vast majority of our city is set on cruise control, heading off a cliff. We need to do whatever it takes to lead them to the narrow path that leads to life. It's heavy, isn't it? Jesus' first warning. Make sure you enter by the narrow gate. His second warning from verse 15. To watch out for false guides. Verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So prophets... They claim to speak for God. They're a guide to help us navigate our way through the journey of life. Jesus is warning us about people that are going to point us down the wrong road. The first thing he says in verse 15 is that they're hard to spot. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. They look like sheep. Now, throughout the Bible, sheep is a metaphor that's used to describe the people of God. God is described as our shepherd, The Old Testament Israel is described as the flock. 
we're described as sheep. So they look like a Christian. They sound like a Christian. They claim to speak for God. But inside, they're ravenous wolves. They're predators that destroy the flock. They're dangerous and they lead to destruction. I found this image as I was preparing this week. And I think it's, it just summarises this teaching of Jesus. It's a sheep leading all the other sheep off the cliff of destruction. It's a perfect metaphor for exactly what Jesus is saying here about the danger of following a false guide. Jesus is saying that appearances can be deceiving. You might be saying the right thing, doing the right thing, but this person is not actually in the kingdom of heaven. And he elaborates on this in verses 21 to 23. He says, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Depart from me. Now this... This teaching is not meant to throw the everyday Christian into a spiral of doubt, going, man, what if I'm not really in the kingdom of heaven? That's not the purpose of what Jesus is saying here. Jesus hangs on to his sheep, he says in John chapter 10. In the context here, Jesus is calling out the false prophets. Beware of false prophets. Not everyone who, says, who prophesies is in the kingdom. Beware of false prophets. Not everyone who prophesies is in the kingdom. He's calling out the false prophets who aren't actually in the kingdom. And in the context of Matthew's gospel, he's calling out the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day. This is a huge theme throughout the Sermon on the Mount, as we've been seeing over the last 11 weeks. Jesus confronting religious hypocrisy. He calls the Pharisees blind guides, the blind leading the blind off a cliff. They claim to represent God, but they're making sons of hell. That's not my language. That's Jesus' language about the Pharisees. They are making sons of hell. They are leading people to destruction. Beware of false teachers. But you might, if they're they're difficult to spot, if they're tricky to spot, how do we actually watch out for them? If they're wolves in sheep's clothing, they look like sheep, how can we spot them? Well, Jesus goes on to say in verses 16 to 18, you will recognize them by what? By their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. So a tree produces fruit according to its nature. An apple tree doesn't produce oranges. An orange tree doesn't produce apples doesn't work like that. Whatever's inside is going to come out. So while appearances can be deceiving, you can recognize a false prophet in the end by the fruit they produce. And so Jesus gives us three tests, I think, to recognize a false prophet. So first is the life test. Look at the fruit of their life and their actions. Do you see the fruit of the Spirit? Or do you see a life of sin? doesn't mean that Pastors and leaders are going to be perfect, but pastors should be living in and teachers should be living in repentance and faith and pursuing obedience to Jesus. Look at the fruit of their life. Second, look at the fruit of their teaching, the teaching test. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is the fruit of their mouth? What are they actually saying? We measure teachers against the authority of God's word. 
is what they're teaching in line with what God has revealed about himself. Even preachers here at Anchor, me, Matt, Arnaldo, guest preachers. You don't just kind of go, oh yeah, Brad said it, so well, that's right then. You need to measure what I say against what God says. Our authority as pastors is only delegated authority from our chief shepherd insofar as we submit to Jesus. Our teaching only has authority insofar as it's in line with Jesus' teaching. Does the teaching, does the fruit of teaching match up with God's word? And the third test, the faith test. Are they even a Christian? Jesus says, not everyone will enter the kingdom, only those who do the will of my Father. And in John's gospel, that's code, the will of my Father. John chapter 6, verse 40. The will of my Father is this, that you believe in Jesus. Do they have faith? Do they believe in Jesus? Are they a Christian? Jesus is exposing people who claim to speak for God but don't even know God. They're not in the kingdom. And he, he shows us the serious consequences for false teachers. In chapter 7, verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit, what happens? It's cut down. It's thrown into the fire. It's destroyed. In verse 23, what happens to those who prophesy in his name but ne- weren't in the kingdom? Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. So church, we need to watch out for false guides that want to point us down the wrong trail. Now, this is not warrant for heresy hunting and a culture of suspicion in our church. Jesus doesn't want distrust or a judgmental, critical spirit to be the mark of the kingdom of God. Now, this is a call for an awareness that not all prophets are pointing us in the right direction. And it's a call for us to realise the serious consequences of following a false guide off a cliff, the blind leading the blind to destruction. Now, as I was doing my devotional time this week, uh, my abide journaling, uh, I'm reading through Revelation at the moment. Revelation is kind of comic book style theology. The Apostle John uses all this apocalyptic imagery to talk about God and the future and Jesus. And in Revelation 13, this beast appears, deceiving the earth. Now, you might think, well, how should we respond to deceivers, to this beast, to false teachers? Should we go out there and kind of fight it? Or what, what, are we, what should we do? And the Apostle John says this, this calls for wisdom. We need wisdom and discernment that comes from the Spirit of God. We shouldn't have a culture of suspicion, but a culture of watchfulness, testing God's word like the Bereans did in Acts chapter 17. I love this. I think this should be kind of what, what our culture should look like. So as the apostles went to the Berean church, this is how they re- responded, Acts chapter 17. They received the word with all eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were true. So they didn't sit there kind of going, I don't know about this guy, something fishy, to everyone that came in, right? They're like, oh, give me more, I love this, keep keep teaching me, come on, more, I'm hungry, I want to know more. So they, they had that eagerness, right? Yeah? You with me? Still awake? Eager. Are you guys eager? Eager to hear God's word. And yet at the same time, what are they doing? Oh, yeah, cool. Great. This is awesome. This is what God's saying. They're they're testing it. They're eager and they're testing it. That should be our posture on a Sunday. You guys eager to hear God's word? You got your Bibles open? You're testing what I'm saying? 
Or are you just kind of sitting there, just accepting it? Eager and testing at the same time. So this teaching from Jesus, it raises the question, what guides are we listening to? What voices are influencing us? Now, I'm not just talking about kind of religious leaders and pastors, what sermon podcasts you're listening to, or that's still, still a good question. But also, more broadly, what cultural voices are you listening to that claim to be pointing the way to the good life, but may be pointing us down the path of destruction? I read this quote earlier in the year that just struck me by a guy called Ben Okri. I don't know a lot about him, but apparently he's a... Wikipedia tells me he's a Nigerian poet and novelist. Ben Okri. He says this. Beware the stories you read or tell. Subtly at night, beneath the waters of consciousness, they are altering your world. Wow. Beware the stories you read or tell. Subtly, at night, beneath the waters of consciousness, they are altering your world. What are you watching on Netflix at the moment? What are you reading? What voices are you listening to and how is that shaping you? Now, this is not a call to kind of run around like, la, 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 I don't want to listen to any, what anyone has to say. This is not a call to kind of unsubscribe from Netflix and stop reading books, stop watching TV, don't go see Avengers, whatever. It, that, that's not what we're saying. Rather, we need wisdom, right? We need wisdom and discernment to actually critically evaluate the messages that we are receiving and the worldview they're communicating. And not to buy into all of it, to receive the good and to hold off the destructive. Jesus' first two warnings, enter by the narrow gate that leads to life. And second, beware of false guides that look good, but they point you down the path that leads to destruction. Warning number three, build your house on the rock. Jesus again draws a A contrast, like the two roads, this time it's two builders. Have a look at verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine, but does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was its destruction. So both the wise and the foolish are house builders. And the house is a metaphor for our life. We're all building a house. We're all building a life. And the exterior of both of these houses looks great. They're both beautiful houses. They look the same. What's the difference? The difference is at the hidden level of the foundation. The wise man builds on the rock and the foolish man builds on on the sand. So let me ask you. We've asked what path are you on. Now let me ask you, what foundation are you building your life on? 
Catherine and I love watching Grand Designs. Anyone with us? How good is Kevin McLeod? Just amazing. And often it's the groundwork that is the most expensive, the most complicated, the most time-consuming part of the entire project. And the importance of foundations, right? It determines whether the house is going to stand or whether it's going to fall and crumble. But the thing is that you can only spot a faulty foundation when the storm comes. The houses look the same on the outside. It's the flood that reveals the quality of the foundations. We've all seen footage of floods from the news. You know, water coming up, rising up to knee level, up to waist level, coming into the house, and then the house floats down the river. That is someone's home. Their children had bedrooms there, bunk beds, toys. There was food in the fridge, stickers on the fridge, artwork on the walls. That's someone's home. And Jesus is saying that is a metaphor for our lives. If you don't have a strong foundation, when the storm comes, your house will crumble. Notice that Jesus says it's not if the storm comes. He doesn't say that. When the storm comes. We're all going to face the storms of life. You might be facing or might in the future face disappointment, miscarriage, insecurity, sickness, redundancy, infertility, the death of a loved one, a strained, broken relationship, a cancer diagnosis, anxiety, the stock market will crash, your friends might betray you, you might experience doubt or rejection. It is false guides that say the Christian life is always happy and easy and God wants to bless you with abundant prosperity and wealth and a good life right now. Suffering, well, that's a sign of sin and that God's not in that. Now, Jesus is clear, the storms will come. The narrow path is a difficult way. To follow him is to take up our cross. See, the Bible has a lot to say about suffering. And it has a lot to say about suffering for righteousness. Often it's the most righteous people right at the center of God's plans that suffer the most. Think about Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers, put in prison. Incredible hardship over decades. And yet God's purpose for him was to raise him up as the the governor of Egypt to save his people Israel. Think about Job, whose God's verdict on his life was this guy is righteous and blameless. He's done nothing wrong, and yet everything fell apart for him as God tested him. Think about our Lord and Savior Jesus, the most righteous one, the one with whom God was most pleased, and yet he suffered more than any of us could imagine. You see, suffering doesn't throw into question the goodness or love of God. Suffering brings into question what our foundation is. Whether your foundation is on the rock of God's goodness or whether you've been building on the sands of circumstance that we easily wash away. You see, if you've placed all your hopes and your dreams and your identity in your house and whatever that is for you, what's your house? Is that finances or career or relationships? reputation. If you place all your hopes and dreams and identity in your house and then your house burns down, your life is going to fall apart. You're on shifting sand. Who am I? Everything that I cherish is gone. 
But if you build your hope and identity on God who is unchanging and secure, now of course it doesn't make suffering easy, but the bedrock of your identity and your hope remains secure. So church, what are you building your house on? Where is your foundation? Money? That's sand. Health? That's sand. Relationships? That's sand. Career? That's sand. Reputation? That is sand. It can all be taken away in an instant. We need a solid foundation that will keep us standing through all the troubles of life. Not to get us out of the storm, but to get us through it. So, is there anyone out there who wants to build on the good foundation of the rock? Anyone? Yes. But how do, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, Jesus tells us, and you might have heard, picked it up if you were listening as I was doing the reading. It's a difference not in hearing, but in what? In doing. It's not just hearing God's words, but doing it. Obedience. Now, it's not like obedience gets us through the storm, like, I'm going to try really hard to just kind of get through this. I'm going to try really hard. That's not how it works. Obedience kind of doesn't get us into the kingdom. Obedience doesn't get us through the storm. But obedience is the mark that we're already in. It's not that our works save us. Only Jesus saves us by his grace. But faith without deeds is dead. A genuine faith will always follow in obedience. It's like a train, right? Faith is the engine. Or Jesus is the engine and kind of faith follows along with obedience behind it. It all comes along as one package. And so if there's no obedience, are you hooked onto the engine? Now this is a dangerous word for us because in our culture we're so used to hearing things and then doing nothing about it. So many of the messages we hear just go in one ear and out the other. We live in the information age and we're overwhelmed with how much information we receive and we're just like crippled by it. Like you look at your Instagram feed and it just kind of passes through. This is even more of a bigger danger for you if you've been sitting in church for decades because familiarity breeds apathy. You've heard a lot of sermons. You've been taking a lot of sermon notes but it's not the information that counts. Jesus says you need to do something with it. And this is a theme throughout the whole sermon. Back in chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus says, Whoever does these commandments, whoever does them, not just hears them, whoever does these commandments and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, we've received some great teaching over the last 11 weeks of the Sermon on the Mount. I reckon this has been one of our best sermon series ever. It's been amazing. I've heard great teaching on anger, and lust, and integrity, and enemies, and prayer, and hypocrisy, and money, and worry, and judging. Amazing, right? Have you just been sitting there hearing it? Or have you done something about it? Have you put it into practice? Has it just gone in one ear and out the other? Or has it sunk down deep into your heart? And come out in bearing fruit. And I know for heaps of us, 
There are many of you that have been responding in obedience. I've been reflecting this week, just thinking of all the amazing stories that I've heard of God bearing fruit in our lives. Hearing stories from the anger sermon on people within our congregation being reconciled to one another. Wow. People going to the workplace with colleagues that they're having conflict with and pursuing reconciliation. Wow, that's awesome. People who have been wrestling with a porn addiction that are coming forth and seeking to uproot that sin and live in purity. Wow. People that have had really bad experiences with their earthly father and are working through, what does it look like for me to call out to God as my father and to pray to him? Wow. I heard one story of a guy working in the corporate world who received the offer of a $100,000 bribe to make a problem with the ATO go away for a client. And he drew a line in the sand and said no. Treasuring God above money. Living a life of integrity. Wow. We've heard stories like Molly's story of people trusting God through anxiety. We've heard people repenting of judgmental, critical spirits, even from last week's sermon. Wow. See, what counts is not hearing the word. Well, that's, that's a good start. What counts is hearing the word and responding in obedience. Now, no one sets out to build a house that's going to fall down, do they? No one sets out to cruise through life and end up at the bottom of the cliffs of destruction. We're all seeking the good life. But the thing is that no one's going to drift onto the narrow path. We're not just going to kind of accidentally stumble onto, oh, there's a good foundation. Jesus is confronting us with the necessity of choice, that we need to make a deliberate, conscious decision and action in response to his teaching. And so let me ask you again, church, what path are you on? What foundation are you building your life on? Don't leave here today as the foolish builder on the highway that leads to destruction. Jesus has set a choice before you, life or destruction. And so choose life. It's a simple decision, isn't it? Come to him. He is the gate and the way that leads to life. Don't wait for some life crisis to jolt you into reality. The narrow path that leads to life begins today. Imagine what it would look like for us, church, we didn't just come here on Sundays and hear good sermons and go out and have morning tea and then go home. Imagine, imagine if we heard Jesus' words and lived in obedience to them. Imagine if tomorrow you go to work and you get into, into a conflict with a co- colleague and rather than getting angry about it, you go to them and pursue reconciliation. Imagine what it would be like if in a city that's torn apart by divorce and domestic violence and infidelity, if we modelled healthy marriages and healthy families marked by love. Imagine if in a ruthless, profit-driven corporate culture, if we treasured God above money and lived a life of integrity. Imagine if in a consumeristic, materialistic, shopping mall culture, always wanting more, if we lived a life of radical generosity, 
Imagine if in the midst of our grief and suffering, our anchor held firm to Jesus, our foundation didn't crumble. Imagine if we prayed and lived by the motto, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Imagine if we lived as communities of light scattered across our city in the darkness, shining the light of God's goodness and love into our neighborhoods and to our friends. We don't need to imagine this. This is what God is doing already. Will you join him on the narrow path? Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Imagine. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you will jolt us out of our complacency and comfort, that we will follow you on the narrow way, whatever it takes. Father, there are people here this morning that you want to call out of death, call, call off the path that leads to destruction and call on to the path that leads to life. So help us to not just hear this word, but to respond in obedience. Father, we we can't do this ourselves. We need the empowering presence of your Holy Spirit. So please use us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.